Good morning then. Uh, so this morning I really want to just keep in the, the theme of Easter. Um, keep looking at what, what Jesus did on the cross as well as what he said between rising and ascending. Um, I was reading through Matthew 28 primarily. And I'm going to deal with a couple of things that he said. But primarily this was the one that started kind of this theme or this message in my heart. Um, I am with you always um, and just what that meant for the disciples at that time <clears throat> what it means for us and what it just meant in terms of what Jesus had gone through in the, on the cross so if you've got your Bible uh, can you turn to Matthew 28 I'll probably read most of Matthew 28 here um, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he is risen, he said. Come and see the place where he is laid. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them there and said, Greetings. I want to pause there. I use the ESV and I don't know what the original word for it was, but we're going to look at it later. Rejoice would have been much better. Greetings, I don't think really does it justice. <laughs> so just take a note. Uh, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So really what, what I want to talk through this morning is what, what did Jesus have to say at this time of, of rising again? What, what was the state of the disciples? Um, what was their state of mind? What did he find before him? Um, you can imagine the disciples thought this was the Messiah. They thought he was coming to establish his kingdom. Yet their Jesus was hung on a cross. He was trialed first, he was arrested, hung on a cross, humiliated, crucified, died. This isn't what they thought was the script. They didn't think that this was what they, they had for them. They thought they were going to, you know, reign with him and rule with him. Um, so they felt disappointed, maybe they felt humiliated themselves, let down, forsaken. Yet these were the men that would go on to start the church. 
So that's kind of the crux of what I want to look at this morning. How did Jesus get them from that state of mind of a wrong thinking of who he was um, to them going out and being able to change the world? Um, we know that at the foot of the cross, there was only John, if I remember rightly, uh, along with Mary, his mother, Mary Magdalene. All of the disciples had fled. They weren't, they weren't to be seen. Peter denied him three times. Judas had betrayed him. Um, even some of the followers had previously deserted him because his words were too harsh. They were looking for signs, they were looking for wonders, but they weren't looking for uh, what Jesus was preaching. And Jesus had already told them that this would happen, that they would fall away. Um, he said to them in Mark 14, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Even in the garden, um, they were sorrowful. Um, when Jesus needed them the most, he brought Peter, James, and John, the, the three, the inner three, so to speak. He brought them to the garden in his darkest hour, and he asked them to watch and pray. And instead, they fell asleep. It says, and when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. They were already thinking of what was to come and maybe the prospect of not having Jesus by their side anymore. Not having the signs and wonders maybe, I, I don't know. But they were sleeping for sorrow. So how would this bunch end up turning the world upside down? David said last week, even our calendar, our, our week changed as a result. Instead of the Sabbath being on Saturday, it changed to Sunday. Um, our Jonathan has a way of changing things. <laughs> of upsetting things. He doesn't call Sunday Sunday. Today is church day. <laughs> Wednesday is granny day. <laughs> That's the day granny obviously comes and looks after him. So today is church day. Wednesday is granny day. Um, so how did, how did Jesus come and, and change their mindset? How did he get them turned around to go out in power to change the world? What did he say? What did the cross change? What changed with him rising again? So I've already said, um, John 14, um, there's there's passage that um, he, had, he had said essentially that he was speaking about what was to come. Um, we'll look a lot at John 14 to 16 this morning. Um, says in John 16, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So it had already dealt with that he had to suffer. He had to go to the cross for them. He had already told them that they'd fall away. And he was trying to get them to a place where um, at least when the things took place that they would remember them. That's not the case. So as we look at Jesus' response when he comes back to the disciples after rising again, um, how does he deal with them? Um, we're going to look at that passage that we read from Matthew 28. We're also going to look you know, John 14 to 16 and look at the words and how Jesus dealt with the disciples. And I think that's maybe one of the primary things to, to look at to begin with is how he dealt with them. Um, he didn't come and rebuke them for falling away. He came and spoke tenderly to them. 
He reminded them of what he'd already said. He empowered them. He didn't, he didn't rebuke them. He wasn't cross with them. Even uh, in John 20, when he first appeared to um, Mary Magdalene, he said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she thought it was the gardener. She didn't recognize him. And then she said, he said, Mary. And uh, she replied, Rabbi, and fell at his feet. He, she recognized his name when she, he, he actually said her name. Um, he didn't, she didn't initially recognize him. And I, I don't really know the rationale behind that. Even when he appeared to them walking to a mess, they didn't recognize him. And I, I don't know how that fully works in terms of him being able to partially hide who he was between rising and ascending. But they didn't recognize him. And initially, Mary didn't recognize that this was Jesus. She thought it was the gardener. So he came and he spoke tenderly. He didn't rebuke them. And there's four common themes that I really want to, to look at um, this morning. One of them, you've already seen, I'm with you always. And that's the primary one I wanna delve into. But of the four of these, three of them are commands, one's a promise. So we've got, do not weep, rejoice. Do not be afraid. Go and tell, and I am with you always. The last one being the promise. And what I want to say is, the first three are commands. They're choices for us to make this morning. So there is an application for us to decide not to be people who weep, but instead to rejoice. Um, not to be people who fear of going and doing the things maybe that God's telling us to do. And yeah, equally, to go and tell, to go and do the things that he's calling us to do. And knowing with that, he's with us. And these are familiar themes. Uh, if we look back to the people of Israel, um, two very, very familiar uh, verses, very similar. And to deal with all four of these, in Joshua 1, 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in the dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Again, they had to go into the promised land. They had to go despite there being giants in the land. And here's four, four things that, again, you know, do not be dismayed. Do not be afraid. I will not leave you or forsake you. So these are familiar themes. Um, and I just want to spend a bit of time looking at them individually, pulling out some of the verses um, to, try to try to encourage us this morning, try to encourage myself as well. Um, so do not weep, rejoice. We've already seen that, that verse that I paused at um, when it said that he suddenly, Jesus met them saying rejoice. Um, and they went to him and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. So immediately we see an act, you know, they're, they're worshipping. Um, he's changed, he's changed them in that aspect. And again, rejoice is such a better translation. Um, I'd need to look at what the original was, but um, I don't think greetings really fits 
as the first word that he spoke. John 16, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. And two verses later in 22, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So again, those words, no one will take your joy from you. Um, don't let anybody take your, your joy from you. Um, the enemy would want to take your joy this morning. It says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Um, if he takes our joy, he's, he's well on his way to um, really harming us and our, our, what we can achieve for God. Um, so I want to encourage you, if, if you feel like you have lost your joy, get back to a place of trying to, to praise and to worship. That's what I find in my experience anyway. Um, praise and worship just changes the outlook. Um, if there's things that are coming in and overpowering us and overwhelming us, get back to a place of worship. Even it, that mightn't be necessarily just music um, or singing, but it, it could be a case of just getting into the prayer closet, of thanking him for the things he's done, of saying thank you for coming through for me. Thank you for answering that prayer. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Equally speaking, it could be in the car. You could be driving to work. Put on some worship music. Don't care about what people think of you as you're driving along. If you happen to play an instrument, get worshiping along with it. I'm thankful I can do that. I need to do more of that. I need to be people of praise. Um, and equally speaking, I, I find that that changes just, I can go in, even on a Sunday morning here, sometimes you can come in feeling heavy. And then we worship together. And things change. There's power in worship. There's power in prayer. There's power in worship as well. So don't let anybody take your joy. It says in Psalm 30, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And you have turned for me my morning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Powerful verses. And this is what happened to, this, uh, to the disciples. We immediately see that they, they start worshipping them. And this was for their own advantage. It says in John 16, But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled their heart, your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is for your advantage that I go away. For, I do not, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We saw earlier, even when he first spoke to them that Mary and the disciples they left the tomb with fear and great joy with fear and great joy and then Jesus said to them do not be afraid go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me so immediately we see the next two um, aspects of this do not be afraid go and tell so do not be afraid. It's one of the most frequent phrases in the, the Bible. I think it's maybe 365 times it's quoted. Um, so it's important. God's trying to tell us something there. To, to not be afraid, to not fear. I've already seen those verses from Joshua and Deuteronomy telling us to be strong and courageous. 
even though they had to go and go into the promised land and take take the land and fight giants um, be strong and courageous it says in John 14 let your hearts let not your hearts be troubled believe in God believe also in me peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give to you let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid and then John 16 but take heart I have overcome the world these are all words he spoke before going to the cross he was trying to even then get his disciples prepared for what lay ahead And it can't be underestimated, I guess, what the disciples were facing. They'd, they'd been with Jesus. They'd seen the miracles. They'd seen the signs. They'd heard his teaching. Now they had the prospect of him going away, not knowing what the future held, of having to go and do greater works. Um, that, that would be pretty scary um, to not have that when you've been walking at Jesus' side daily, um, for him to not be there. And I guess this morning, equally for us, what is it that he's telling us to go and do? What are the greater works that he has for us? What are the fears? What are the things that are maybe preventing us from doing that? Um, I know even myself this morning, this isn't something that I do that regularly. I do it in work all the time. I'm okay with demoing stuff. I'm okay with doing live demos of code. <laughs> That's that's simple but handling God's word or bringing God's word to his people that's a different responsibility um, we're blessed to have David teach faithfully and bring just goodness out of God's word every week um, so hopefully you can be encouraged by what is here but this is not something that you know I find easy necessarily to do but it's a choice to to overcome that to not let fear say, well, that's not your calling or that's not something that's for you to do. If God's put something on your heart, whether it be a word or something to do, you've got to be obedient and do it. So if God's even speaking, like even those weeks, I'd say maybe six weeks ago or so, where we had a time where there was just more openness in terms of our worship and sharing, you know, if God's putting something on your heart, it doesn't necessarily have to be at the front of the church. If God's putting something on your heart to tell and to share, do it. And I bless you for, the, for your obedience in that. And you don't know what it's going to mean to the person that's hearing it. I actually want to touch on something that I maybe didn't say fully earlier. Um, that's, that's kind of relevant to that as well. You've got to know what God's saying to you. When he said Mary, Mary knew his voice. His sheep know his voice. Are we listening? Are we hearing him? Do we know what he's saying to us? Do, do I know what he's saying to me? Um, are we hearing regularly from him? It says his sheep know his voice. I want to hear his voice more. And that only comes from being a place of prayer, being in communion with him, and really forging out that um, prayer life. It says to be people of praying without ceasing. I don't quite know what that means but or what that looks like in terms of living that out but that's something I would like to get to 
Um, I know there's people that even I've come across that even when they're speaking, you know that Jesus is just putting something in their heart, just directing, just changing where they're going with the message. So what is it that we're afraid of? What is the fear that is stopping us from doing some of the things? It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. And it mightn't be, mightn't be easy. He doesn't, doesn't promise that it's gonna be easy, but he's there with us, he's gonna do it. If God's in it and he has brought you to do something, he'll be with you, he'll surely do it. The next thing, go and tell. So there's a purpose to this. Um, Mark 16. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into the heavens, sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. And he confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Again, I think I'm missing maybe a slide in there. That's not what I was expecting, but again, that, that idea of 1 Thessalonians 5, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. We see that they went out, they preached the word, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Um, what I was expecting to be up there was the Great Commission from Mark 16. Not there. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those, accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message with the company and signs. That's just the last bit of Mark 16 there. In John 14 it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. How, that blows my mind that there'd be greater works done than what Jesus did. How is that possible? Um, so again, as, as we're going to the next bit, we'll, we'll see the answer to that. Um, we'll see that it's because of the Holy Spirit. It's because of the Helper. That's the reason why Jesus ultimately um, had to die he died for our sins, but he also died for the Holy Spirit to come and to live in each one of us and to be that power that would go out and enable the disciples and the apostles to be that early church and to, to change the world truly. So again, just as we round off that section, go and tell what, what is it that he's telling you to do. Has he put something on your heart recently? Has he put something on my heart? Is he talking to us as a individuals as he told us collectively to do something again it's about hearing his voice and going and doing it so the last section I am with you always um, 
really, I, w I want to kind of look at the context of this and spend maybe a wee bit more time kind of in this, this, this section. Um, I've got Isaiah 53 up on the screen. And I want to kind of look at this in the context of Jesus saying, I am with you always. Jesus had just been crucified. He'd gone to the cross alone. He'd been let down by his disciples. And yet he was coming to them, not with words of rebuke, but he was coming and saying to them, I am with you always. He was giving them a promise. Um, so Isaiah 53. Um, I'm going to read this. It's not all of Isaiah 53, it's sections of it. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Those are just various verses from Isaiah 53. And what I want to spend just a little bit of time is just, just contemplating just the loneliness of the walk that Jesus had to the cross. Um, he went to the garden, said earlier, he went to the garden with Peter, James and John and they fell asleep. He needed them in that hour. He'd even asked the father to take the cup away, um, but they fell asleep. Peter had denied him three times. Judas had betrayed him. But maybe the, the worst portion of the cross, I, I don't know. Um, obviously the physical suffering was unimaginable but in Matthew 27 it says my God my God why have you forsaken me and as far as I'm aware that's the only time Jesus didn't refer to his father as father but he said my God my God why have you forsaken me at that point and I don't know what it looked like the father turned his back on his son he placed on his son our sin my sin the iniquity of us all was placed on his shoulders. There's a couple of lines from relatively older songs, um, How Deep the Father's Love, the Father turned his face away. Um, and I'll never know how much it cost. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. Um, so we don't know what it was like for Jesus to, to experience that, that separation from the Father. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if it was even something that he had contemplated in the garden. Um, and then you, you put that with the physical suffering of it, the absolute brutality of crucifixion. 
So when he comes to the disciples and says, I'll be with you always, it's, for me, it's just, it, in context of that, it's just even more powerful. It says in Proverbs 18, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, he'll never leave us or forsake us. It says in John 14, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Here we have just the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus said it was better that he goes away for our sake so that the helper can come. When the disciples were walking with Jesus, they had him there, they could rely on him. They could maybe hide behind him a wee bit. Now that the Holy Spirit to come and help them to, to walk, walk in the Spirit and uh, to do those greater things. It says in Romans 8, the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. With the Spirit in us this morning, God dwells within each one of us this morning. Sin doesn't reign, death doesn't reign. He's given us life. Holy Spirit dwells within us. One amazing promise that is for, for each one of us this morning. Again, back in uh, Deuteronomy and Joshua, again it's echoed in Hebrews, I will never leave you or forsake you. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. He's not going to change his mind. He didn't change his mind of the disciples when he came back after he rose. He spoke the same words to them. He said to them, do not weep, do not be afraid. Go and tell, and I'll always be with you. So we have resurrection power living in us, which transforms our lives, makes us more Christ-like, changes us each day. I need changed, continuing to be renewed, but also empowers us to do those things that he's called us to do. How will we do the greater works that Jesus spoke of? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will all be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And Luke 24, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We need the Holy Spirit. It's not by power, it's not by might. By a spirit. If we're going to see those things that God's telling us individually to do, it's got to be in a spirit. It's not going to be any amount of us conjuring anything up ourselves or relying on any talents or strengths. It's by a spirit. And equally speaking, as a, as a body in this place, if we're looking to see change in the things that God's telling us to go and do, it's got to be by a spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. So as I kind of draw this into a close, I kind of want to just look at the disciples and just how, how they were changed by these words, how they were changed by this promise. And with plenty of examples, looking at Acts. If you look at Acts 5, how many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Even before that, 
before the Holy Spirit came when the, they were waiting for that power, waiting to be clothed from on high, it says they were all with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and the Mary, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. I said earlier that they were scattered, like sheep without a shepherd. Now they're together with one accord. This is before the Holy Spirit came. So they're already, in my mind, made a conscious decision to change their direction. Said that there were three commands and one promise. It's just my feeling that already they were devoting themselves to, to prayer. They were with, in one accord and the Holy Spirit came upon them. Peter then got up on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were saved. And we've already read that signs and wonders followed. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So what has God called us to? What does that look like? Um, what are the things that he's put on our hearts that we need to see change in our town, change in our workplaces? Um, I said earlier, he is faithful. First Thessalonians 5.24 He who calls you is faithful. He'll surely do it. Um, maybe the very last verse there from Matthew 28 that started this message and behold I am with you always to the end of the age so as I kind of just bring this to, to a close I just want to just read out and, and pray um, I want to pray just the words of Joshua Joshua 1 um, as, we, as I do pray, I want you to, want you to just ask the Holy Spirit to come this time and let him, let him speak to you. Let him put something on your heart. If, if there is something that's already on your heart, to, to come and empower you to do it this morning. Um, so yeah, Jesus, I just thank you for, for your words of encouragement. Thank you for the words of Joshua 1.9 this morning. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. All right, thank you, Lord, that we don't have to fear. All right, thank you that we don't have to be um, downcast this morning, Lord. All right, thank you that you are with us, Lord. And I pray... This morning, Lord, that you will be speaking to, to each one of us, myself included, as to the things, Lord, that you want us to do, Lord. Yeah. Lord, we need to hear your voice, Lord. Maybe we've heard your voice already, and we need to hear those words, do not fear, be strong and courageous. Lord, would you speak to us, Lord? Would you encourage us, Lord? Would you, would you use us? as we've maybe come out of a time where it's been hard for us to do the things that we once did, Lord, with the pandemic, Lord, would you again ignite in us just a fire and a passion to do the things, Lord, that you want us to do, Lord? And Lord, would you give us the, the boldness to, to step out, Lord? Would you help us not to fear what people think, Lord? Not to fear what, what might happen, 
because Lord, when you're in it, you'll surely do it, Lord. You'll be with us. And Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to, to really just to orchestrate that, Lord, to speak and to enable and to empower. The disciples were an unlikely bunch of guys to turn the world upside down, Lord, but we see that they, they did it, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you that your Holy Spirit worked within them, Lord, to, to change the world, Lord. And Lord, I just pray this morning that each one of us will be empowered by your Spirit. Lord, just come as we worship this morning, Lord. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank mm-hmm. you.